Everybody's familiar with this verse, correct? It is the beginning of the first angel's message, which is the beginning of the three angels' message. From here, I want to take you here. Anybody familiar with John Dibdahl? Anybody? 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 Okay, there we go. One person. Um, does anybody have the um, Andrew's Study Bible? Okay, read your Bible in the front, then you'll get to know who John Dibdahl is a little bit. Um, he helped put together a book called Adventist Missions in the 21st Century that you can get at the Adventist bookstore, I think, if you special order it. Um, on the very first page, he makes a statement. He says, mission is central to our identity. Jesus did not create a church and then give it mission as one of its tasks. The divine sending plan comes prior to the church. Mission gives birth to the church and is its mother. The very essence or nature of the church is mission. If the church ceases to be missionary, it has not simply failed in its task, but has actually ceased being the church. It has become only a religiously oriented social organization. My brother accuses me of starting in the middle, going to the end, and going back to the beginning. That is the end. Okay? That is the end. The Bible verse we have today, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as it witness to all nations, and then the end will come. That is the end of what I want to tell you today. Okay? In order to get there, we have to go back and start at the beginning. Um, For anybody, I've been here a few times, in and out, and um, this church is probably more familiar with Adventist World Aviation than a lot of other churches, but just to um, give you a little bit of background on me, for those of you who may have not been here before, have never met me, uh, my name is Fletcher Gron. I am a mechanic, aviation mechanic with Adventist World Aviation. I am scheduled to serve in the Philippines, on our, in our um, Philippines team there. We have an air base that we're um, constructing. This will be a training center and a launching point for mission aviation throughout the Philippines and Asia. So I have not been to the Philippines yet. I am in the preparatory stages. Tomorrow I go to Berrien Springs, Michigan, where I can start the last piece of the training that I need to go to the mission field. It's with Adventist Frontier Missions. They have what's called the Summer Institute of Frontier Missions. All their missionaries go through it. University um, students that are going on, um, taking a year off to do student mission work, they go through that. AWA sends our people through there. It lasts about 11 weeks. It has a whole range of of, um, topics and study material. Uh, if you're interested in that for any reason, I have the calendar, the schedule with me. Um, so after the service today, we can share that with you if you would like. But that's why I'm here. Um, the first time I came here, if you remember, I spoke about the Philippines, specifically the Philippines, and the work that God has going on there and the needs there. Today, I want to focus more on AWA and missions, period, because mission is why we're here. A.T. Jones, 
Has anybody seen this book before? It is at the ABC. It's a third angel's message. It is a series of sermons that he gave at the 1895 General Conference. 26 sermons, to be exact. Um, is it 25? 26. On successive nights. Their general conferences are a little longer than what ours are today. But in that, um, I'm going to turn around and read this for you. But you can read it. He says, those human instruments who will make the call by the word of mouth will have to be so connected with God that in the call, people will hear the voice from heaven. The Spirit of God will impress those who hear with the actual conviction that that is the truth. Now, before I forget and move on, if you have the opportunity, I would highly suggest you get one of these and read it. I picked it up last night for the first time in several, probably a year, and just reviewed what I had highlighted in it. And it brought me back to a place that I have not been in a very long time, and that God blessed me. A.T. Jones speaks a language that I understand. He speaks Jesus Christ in a way I have not heard before. A great blessing. I believe you will be greatly blessed if you read this. So, what I want to go from here is to go to Acts, chapter 2. Now, this is where Peter, on the day of Pentecost, is out in the street and he's preaching. I'm going to start in verse 36. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. At the end of his sermon, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Jump over a couple of pages. Acts chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 51. Here it's Stephen. He is before the council. He is giving... Literally, the last plea to the nation of Israel. He says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the Just One, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. When Peter and the apostles left the upper room and went out and preached, were they connected with God? Were they not just inundated with the Holy Spirit? When Stephen was talking to the council, was he connected with God? Did he not have a vision of heaven itself right then and there? What does it say in both verses? They were cut to the heart. Did the hearers of what they had to say know that what they heard was the truth? In both instances. 
what you will notice are two different responses. The first is a plea for what must we do to be saved. The second is they gnashed at him and they went out and stoned him. We are not responsible for people's response to the message that we're to give the world. We are merely responsible for giving the message. No argument. Paul says, I am determined to know nothing save Jesus Christ and him crucified. We can make all the arguments, we can lay out all the theology, and it can be as empty as the Pharisees. It is our connection with heaven. That is the beginning. Around the world is the end. We must first, first be connected. Otherwise, we have nothing to give anybody. So that's the most important point today I want to make. Okay, everything else that comes after this starts here. If we don't get this right, none of this is going to make any difference. The United States Army is made up of 17 major branches. Each branch has its role. Each is critical in the mission of the United States Army. If any one branch wasn't there or ceases to function, then the United States Army does not function as it is supposed to and becomes endangered in their mission. So what about God's people? What about us? Mission is our purpose. These are different mission organizations. I sat down one day and just started typing them up. You can probably think of a whole lot more And there's more coming out every day. But I want to give this an example. 3ABN. What is 3ABN? What do you you think of when you first hear about 3ABN? Television. All right. Do they reach a lot of people? Right? Powerful, powerful stuff, right? Okay. Do they have any drawbacks? Television. One. Power grid, two. Number of languages, three. They transmit in about eight different languages, I believe, or so. The Philippines has 171 active languages. So, can 3ABN spread the gospel around the world by themselves? Nope. What about Adventist World Radio? commonly confused with Adventist World Aviation sometimes. (laughs) Um, What do you think of that? Radios, right? All right. Do they have uh, an issue with power, power grid? Do they? Hmm. They have solar powered radios. They transmit in 80 languages now, I believe. That's a lot. But still, what is it... um, Indonesia? No, let's go to Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea has over 500 different languages. So is Adventist World Radio going to reach the whole world with the gospel? No. Okay. So you get the point. You know where we're going here. 
Adventists, all these missions, each one has their place. A really great thing about Adventist World Radio and um, 3ABN is they get to cross political borders that North Americans or Christians cannot. That's one advantage. So they are definitely have a place in God's mission and the church's mission, but they're only part. So what about Adventist World Aviation? What is our place? What is our role here? First thing when you think about Adventist World Aviation is what? Airplanes. Okay. When I'm going to go back to this in a second. We'll, we'll, say, we'll try to change your mind about this. Um, there are nearly 7 billion people on planet Earth. 4.75, or, oopsie, it's 4.3, it's 2.75. 4.3 billion are not Christian. 2.75 are unreached with the gospel. And 800 million people will require aviation to play some role in reaching them with the gospel. Does anybody know about how many that that is? It's about the entire population of North and South America combined. That is a lot of people. That is a lot of work. Now, yes. Yes. We serve mostly, and you guys know the difference between this, are familiar with the difference in this, but mostly in extremely remote locations, wherever communications or transportation are sporadic, um, unavailable, or you know, simply don't exist. But there are a few exceptions to that rule. One of them is EAA. This is one of the opportunities we get to reach out to over half a million people all at once. But for the most part, our mission is the extreme remote location. It's our job to bridge the gap for the frontier missionary, for the church, for um, medical people, medical staff, the, the people who are reaching out to the hard-to-reach people. We are here to help them. We serve them in spreading the gospel. The type of work we do I'm going to list off a few things here. Medical team transport, um, medical evacuations. So we can either take the, the, the healing to the people or we can take the people to the healing. Either way, whichever is called for in a particular need, whatever is available. We do uh, medical out... Oh, we just did it backwards. Medical team transport, medical outreach. Um, sometimes, by the way, we do this without a plane. Sometimes we drive. Sometimes we take a boat. Whatever works. Um, communication support. We've delivered um, multiple HF radio systems in the Philippines alone to PFM, which is Philippines Frontiers Missions, which is a sister organization of Adventist Frontier Missions in the Philippines. Um, providing them communications, a lifeline for the frontier missionaries so that they can um, both communicate to the outside world, to um, communicate need, and make calls. Um, it, it's, a, it's a world of difference for them. Um, evangelism. The gentleman on the left was um, Clifton Brooks, who was a pilot in the Philippines at the time, and helped out with an evangelistic series. Remember this picture. I'm going to refer to it in a couple minutes. Um, humanitarian relief. Normally we fly um, 
lighter aircraft, Cessna 182s, 206s. We do have larger um, Cessna up in, uh, up in Alaska, but we also are working on um, procuring a Kodiak, a couple of Kodiaks. Uh, the newsletter you have will have a story about the Kodiak on the back page of that. That'll tell you a little bit more about that aircraft. It'll fly about three times what a Cessna 182 will, and it will fly in and out of the same airfield that a Cessna 182 can get to. Remote, small, rugged airfields. Uh, youth involvement. Um, one of the planes that you saw earlier was the Pathfinder plane. The Pathfinder organization helps with one of our mission planes. They got it to the field. Every five years it comes back to the International Camporee, and the Pathfinders get to maintain that aircraft. Also, the, down in the lower, um, vacation Bible schools. Um, we have um, people that go up into Alaska, remote villages up in Alaska during the summer. We'll transport them so that they can conduct vacation Bible schools for the children of these remote villages. Um, students, university students, that are going out and doing short-term mission trips. Um, there's lots of different opportunities for young people, not just you know, college-age students, but to children as well. The idea is this. We would rather have the youth learn about serving Jesus than learn about Satan's fun and games. If God can show them how rewarding it is to work with him, it's not dull drudgery. There's challenge. And the youth are needed because they have ideas. They have energy that a lot of us have lost a lot of. I'm starting out a bit late in my life with this. I'm going to give it everything God's got that he gave me to give. But we need the youth because they're going to be the arms and the legs and the power and the ideas and the excitement of the future that will get this message, this commission completed. The youth are very important to us in our mission. So what is our impact, AWA's global impact? I believe the last time our president was here, he gave some of this information for you folks, but I'm going to run through it again. This is now about a year old, but we're going to keep going with these numbers. It's all we have right now. Um, over 68 nations and tribes have been impacted. Um, we've literally touched lives on almost every continent of the world. I'm not so sure about the Antarctic, but um, I don't know. 43,000 people have been reached. 25,000 in 2009 alone. Compare that number to the 800 million. Would you like to reach 25,000 people in a year? Mm. But if that's all we ever reach, we're actually going to lose ground. We need to do so much more. Over 5,000 youth have been involved from the start in the missions in various different aspects. 23 churches, over 23 churches and schools have been constructed in different countries around the world. Over 35 epidemics have been stopped. And that's the Pathfinder plane right there. Eight million, million missionary miles have been flown. 
and over two million pounds of supplies, food and supplies have been delivered. Imagine a missionary having to put those two million pounds of food on their backs and traveling those eight million miles. Think of the wear and tear on the missionary, the materials that they lose going up over mountains or down rivers or across oceans. We're here to help reduce that burden for them and to make their job more efficient. An example, anybody heard of jars? Okay, a couple of you. These are the folks who transport Wycliffe Bible translators. Anybody heard of Wycliffe? Okay. They don't do it, they don't, they're not limited just to air. They also do ground transport and others. And Bob and Carol, you're probably going to know more about them than I do even, I would think. But they, um, they send out a, 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 I think it's a monthly um, article like the flight log that we have outside for our organization. And in a couple of months ago, they had a story where these um, two women were coming back from a village in Africa. 470-mile trip. It took 18 days to make that trip. Along the way, their jeep loaded down, got stuck up, into, up to the windows in a mud pit and couldn't get out for five days. This is the type of thing that the efficiency of an aircraft could have transported them in and out in a day, maybe two aircraft. If they have a Kodiak, they could have done it all in one, one flight, probably. But just a matter of hours versus 18 days. Just think of the difference, the efficiency. This is what we need to do to the best of our ability. Because the work is hard enough. This is the Pathfinder plane. Over 2,000 emergency evacuations not always in the best of conditions. But quite often, it is the only link to life to those who are dying. When the best medical care you have is a local witch doctor. So when we do what we do at AWA, we follow Christ's model. Christ came first and he healed the people. He says they went through villages where there wasn't a sick person left in the whole village. Is there any place on earth like that today? When he healed them, he taught them down-to-earth lessons about life, And then he taught them, finally, about a father. He wasn't up there with a big stick waiting to beat his children because they carried something 28 paces on the Sabbath. They had a father who loves them dearly. Do we not all need to know this? I mean, not just hear it but to know it. What about the people in the world who worship 
spirits who are enslaved to them. All they know is fear, constant fear every day. When we bring health, education, a better way of life for people, just from a humanitarian standpoint, it's the key that unlocks their hearts to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then when they see the power of our God compared to the miserable power of their spirits, now there's an opportunity. And brothers and sisters, you can provide that opportunity. Kagi and Sio. When I was here the first time, I had this. You saw some of this. So this may, if you remember two years ago, you may remember this. But this is an example about how the church, the missions of the church, this is how God would have us work. Kagiensio is a little island in the middle of the Sulu Sea. At this time, we were flying out of Manila, which is far north on the island of Luzon. Currently, you'll see Puerto Princesa under the Kagiensio. Our airbase being constructed is right about uh, the middle of the P just on this side, this side of the um, island. But at this time, there was a pastor. He was waiting for five months to get transportation to this island. He had a medical team. He had a dental team. He had medications um, to bring, and he was just trying to get there. But the large ferries kept being canceled. Five months, he couldn't get there. So he gave us a call. He had just learned of us, and he says, well, is there something that you can do? And we said, is there an airfield there? Yep. The Philippine Air Force won't fly into it, but we have a Cessna 182, we can do that. So we took his team, not a very big team. We've transported teams in the numbers, numbers over 100 before, but we took their team. This is the runway that runs from shoreline to shoreline at the tip of the island. And there's the aircraft just coming off of it. It's just crushed coral, nothing fancy. We flew them in to do their work. And they did know, over 100 medical procedures, dental work, right there on the sidewalk. Medications, prescriptions, handing out to the people. That evangelistic series, that, I, that picture that I showed you before, that was a series that was done on this mission outreach. From that, 69 souls were baptized. Two churches were planted, and a third church has now grown from those two. One medical team, one evangelistic team, one dental team, with the nursing staff, and one mission aviation organization. Together, this is what God can do when we work hand in hand. That is one plane, one mission outreach. One mission plane can support up to 30 mission outreaches at once. So think of the impact. 
that God can have. This is the kind of impact that we hope to have. There's no guarantee we're going to baptize 69 people every single time that we go out. There may be five. There may be one. There may be nobody. But we will have reached out and touched the lives, the seeds planted. And who knows what God will do with those seeds in the future. We are to give the message. We are to leave God the converting part. That's his job. So how can we make an impact? We. Not you. We. Because I was sitting in a pew like that when God gave me a call. As a matter of fact, I was sitting in somebody's couch. And I read an article in a magazine about Adventist World Aviation. I fired off an email figuring I would hear, well, thank you very much, but your experience is 20-some years old and you're not a pilot. We'd rather have somebody with more experience. But no. The president of the organization emailed me within a day or two. Very encouraging, telling me what the mission was about and how to be involved. And God has led every step of the way. He invites all of us because it is God's mission. It is not AWA's. It is not Fletcher Grounds. It is God's. We are just invited to go work with him. Isn't that an awesome opportunity? This is the best job I have ever had. Honestly. It's also probably the hardest one I've ever had. Honestly. I've been to school at the University of Wisconsin, MATC, Upper Iowa University, Armstrong State University, I think it was. But nothing was as tough as going through A&P School at Andrews. I have never been through anything like that in my entire life. It nearly grinds you to pieces. But Jesus Christ is with you every step of the way. And he does not intend this to be a one-man show. Because it is a blessing to be here. And he offers that blessing to everyone, including you. So how can we make an impact in these people's lives? Prayer, number one. We need to learn how to pray like Jesus prayed. Amen? Would that not solve most of every problem that we have? I would think to spend so much time close to Jesus, close to God, wow, instead of looking at all of our puny little problems that we have, wow. Investments of gifts that God has already given us or will give us. Jesus doesn't ask anything that he will not provide. It's impossible. He provides everything. Whether that is money, skills, time, ideas, imagination. There's no limit to this. God can give someone a thought that nobody else has. So 
whatever God has given you. He has given for a purpose. He gave me the tinker. I like to tinker with things. Growing up, I like to take things apart. I never put them back together, but I like to take them apart. But um, who knows what God has given each of us. That's between you and him. But if we are listening to him, if we have Peter and Stephen's connection with heaven, if we have that same connection, then we're going to know what God wants from us. If we have any questions, just go ask him. He'll let us know. And that's between each individual and God himself. Not between you and I. Not between husband and wife. It's between God and us. Sharing the vision. Anybody here have grandchildren? Children. Do you have a problem? Do you have pictures in your wallet? Do you have any problems sharing those pictures with people? Especially a new one? If we were that anxious to share Jesus with the world carry a picture of him in our wallet if we had one. Well, we do. We've got a picture right here. We can share this with anybody. If we were that excited, if God has put a mission, a missionary, on your heart, share it with somebody. Because even if God may not have given you the physical gifts to share, He may have given you the gift of vision. And that vision shared with who knows. That person may have something that God has set aside for them. But sharing the vision is huge, huge. So if God has placed a a passion on your heart, share it with somebody. Short, long-term mission trips. This is one of the things I get to do. I get to do the long-term one, six-plus years. I figure I'll be there until God says, okay, it's time to go do something else. Time to bring somebody younger in here who can run a little faster than you can, which wouldn't be hard. Encouraging a missionary. I know there's people here who who know missionaries in the field right now. I know there are. All right? Do something. Send them a card. Send them a a small care package. Do something to let them know that you're thinking about them, that you're praying for them, that you're doing battle with the enemy right at their side, even though you may be on the other side of the planet. We can still fight side by side. Do not underestimate what something very small and very simple can do. Because oftentimes a missionary may be in a remote place, isolated, without contact with the outside world. And Satan likes to discourage us, does he not? Please, never underestimate what God can do through us for him. So what is the cost to make an impact with AWA? Airplanes and around the world and all this. It's got to be expensive, right? 
Not as much as you might think. It's only about $25 a person. And we're talking about a young boy or a young girl or a father who has a disease, an infection, cancer, malaria, a gentleman in the back of the Pathfinder plane got in a machete fight. Got the short end of it. We're talking about helping to save people's lives. And through that, opening the door to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just simply running around the jungle, handing out flyers, inviting them to prophecy seminars. There's a place for that. There is a place for that. And sometimes we do prophecy seminars. But first, we want to reach out to their physical needs. I want to leave you with one final number. And that's the number one. I'm going to take a rough estimate here and just say there's 50 adults in here. I could be short, I could be long. If every adult in this church would bring one dollar, one single dollar every Sabbath, this church could reach Is that about 100 people a year? You can make an impact. And that's just a dollar, one dollar. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot. If one man tries to carry a mountain, it's very heavy. But if you get enough people with a shovel, and everybody carries one shovel full, it's easier to move the mountain, isn't it? There's a gentleman by the name of John Holbrook. He's very young. And uh, when I was here last time, I told you a little story about the people that he is going to serve. He wrote an article. with He's with AFM. As a matter of fact, tomorrow, I believe I'm going to get to meet the man for the first time. I've known about him for several years. But he is with AFM, and he's going to be going through the same training that I am beginning Monday. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to get to room with him which is going to be exciting because I'm going to get to hear a story from his own mouth instead of third, fourth, fifth party. But he wrote this short little article. It says, smoke burned Pondex's eyes as he swung in his hammock with fierce concentration, but he couldn't see the smoke, nor could he hear the clatter of the village around him. He was deep in a trance, fighting desperately to navigate his village through a world ruled by hundreds of spirits. Another child was sick. A shaman from another village had sent a spirit cap to scratch the child, and Pondek was fighting for the child's life. The spirit was powerful, though, and Pondek's spirits refused to help. Pondek knew it was impossible to please every spirit. Their rules were so complex and contradictory that it was impossible to get through life without experiencing their wrath. Like every one of his people, he lived with with his terror every waking and sleeping moment. As the most powerful shaman in the area, he did his best to manipulate spirits in order to help his people, but the responsibility lay heavy on his shoulders. And so he rocked on in a desperate battle to save the child's life, not realizing that rather than manipulating the spirits, he and his people were actually descending deeper and deeper into slavery to them. 
He watched in frantic despair as the demon squeezed the life out of the little child. There was nothing he could do. The child was soon dead. Friends, this story is not a fantasy. This is a reality darker and more desperate than you or I can imagine. It is the reality that tens of thousands of people live with every moment of their lives, and they cannot escape. Won't you join me in paying whatever price is necessary to bring Jesus' liberation to these people before it's too late? Those are his words. This is a young man who grew up in the middle of a spirit-worshiping people. Brothers and sisters, this is what it's all about. This is why we're here. We're here because we were first there. And because we are here, God asks us, won't we help share this with those who don't know it yet? Jim Elliott, one of five men. Now let me start this. He wrote this October 28, 1949. He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Within a few short years, he and five or four other friends lie dead on a beach in the middle of an Ecuador forest. His wives and children came in and shared the gospel with the very men that killed him. And today, there are one souls for Jesus Christ because of his sacrifice. He gave what he could not lose, or he gave what he could not keep to lose, or to keep what he could not lose. What about us today, brothers and sisters? If you hear the voice of God today speaking to you to be a part of this mission, there's information out in the lobby on the table. There's some blue cards there. On one side, there's a place for your name and your contact information. On the back side is the opportunity for several different means to help be a part of the work. We don't want you to sit here and write out a check and then just sit down. Because God wants you to understand that we are working, fighting side by side, shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. He wants you to understand that this is a commitment to be a part of the work. Every bit as much as I am. No role has any less importance than any other. The senders are as important, if not more so, than the one who gets sent. Because without the senders, there is no one sent. So there are several options. Prayer, financial short-term mission trip. Or if you have questions about the mission or unclear about anything, there's an option there to have a home visit. And we'll come and we'll visit you and answer as many questions as you have the best that I can. This is not a church-sponsored mission. We are called into existence by the church, specifically to support the church. It is independent by design because it can be operated 
more effectively and more efficiently outside of the church than inside of it. So the offerings that we give for missions in Sabbath school or a church, they don't come to us. It is only through the private, individual, or group support that this mission goes forward. So please, would you consider becoming a part of this rewarding work that needs to be completed because not until we're done will Jesus Christ come. Let no one leave here today thinking that you do not have enough to make a difference. The widow only had two mites yet it has been one of the most powerful gifts ever given. Dear Father in heaven, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved wretches like us. Please, Father, help us to share this amazing grace so heaven will be overflowing with the wretches saved by your blood. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.